interrupt this previously scheduled broadcast to bring you an urgent message through the TCC emergency broadcasting system. Please stand by. My fellow Canadians, it is amidst the most insidious, invasive, and out-of-this-world circumstances possible that you are listening to my voice right now. Today, some of our greatest suspicions have been confirmed. Some of our greatest fears made real. Every single day, over 150 sightings of unidentified flying objects, UFOs, are reported across our planet. Some even within our Canadian airspace, though 90% are explainable as natural and or man-made occurrences, 10% are not. Many sightings of strange lights have been confirmed, many abductions from credible sources have been reported, and now both scientific and spiritual research proves that they are among us. But who are they? What do they want? And what can you do to protect yourself and your family from them? Do not live in deception. Do not live in denial. The truth is out there. And Gary Bates is a believer who has been sent to help us find it. Author of Amazon.com bestseller, Alien Intrusion. We've abducted Gary for our next four episodes in this series on aliens that we're calling TCC Phone Home. It all starts tonight, right here, right now. But first, this just in from the field. Hey, it's pandemonium on the streets. There's something in the sky. We need some help down here. Do you believe in aliens, Josh? Yes, I do. You do believe in aliens? Okay, why? If you don't mind me asking. Um, it just, it makes sense. If you think about it, like, scientifically, they've proven there are planets with water on it that have ecosystems, that have atmospheres. They've proven all this stuff. It's not in our galaxy. It's, like, out there. They've got satellites out there. They've got, like, rovers. There's just so much proving that there is the possibility of other life elsewhere that I just can't ignore it. So just to get your your logical syllogism here, you're saying because there's there's water, is that what it is? Yeah. Water, water presupposes life. Life presupposes aliens, is that? Yeah. Okay. Now they might not be like super that. futuristic like they are in movies where they come down in spaceships and kill everyone, but Okay. Okay. I don't doubt that there's somebody out there doing something. Okay. Um, do you think we should be spending money on searching for extraterrestrial intelligence? I don't think so. Okay. Like, there's people dying of cancer, there's people dying of AIDS and all kinds of other sicknesses, but we're spending billions and billions of dollars on space travel when there are people on our planet right now who are dying. Okay. Maybe you know this. There are, there are actually many sane, rational people, doctors, <laughs> lawyers, accountants, yeah. who claim to have been abducted by aliens. Um, what do you think really happened to them? Uh, that's a good question. Maybe some peyote in the wilderness. I don't know. <laughs> do you think that that really happens? Do you think people really go to a ship and maybe think, the needle thing? And I don't Maybe they get like the ships and the needles and stuff, but there's definitely like hallucinogenic things from meteorites or like northern lights and all that stuff. Okay. Okay. But you don't you don't make room for the actual abduction in your mind? You don't think I don't think so. I think that if aliens came to Earth, they really wouldn't care about picking us up and putting us in spaceships and 
stabbing us with needles. Okay. No experiments going on? Like, there's nothing really that interesting about people that we don't already know. <laughs> like, pick up a book, man. <laughs> okay, now hopefully you can handle, I think you can handle this. This is where the research sort of gets strange and a bit spiritual here. Okay. And this is, this is research. You ever heard of Gary Bates? No, I haven't. He's, he's a ufologist. That's actually a term, ufologist. ufologist. Yeah, ufologist. He says this. Check this out. Just, just, just read. Just, I'm just the, the, the messenger here. <laughs> Gary Bates says that the striking similarity between alien abductions is the fact that they can be halted in the name of Christ. What do you think that's all about? Uh... And th- this is not just like some some dude with a Bible doing research. This is yeah. like this this is this is like global research that yeah. he's he's. See, he, I he, don't believe that even if aliens did come and they're gonna pick you up. And let's just say they do want to probe you or God knows what, and you say stop in the name of the Lord, they're just going to be, no, we're going to do what we got to do. Hi, this is Corey here, and sitting in the studio with me this week is Gary Bates of Creation Ministries International. And Gary serves as the head of ministry for the Australian office of CMI. He's been speaking on the creation evolution issue since 1990. And in recent years, Gary's become an expert in the UFO phenomenon and associated extraterrestrial beliefs. Today, he's a a popular conference speaker and the author of the Amazon.com top 50 bestseller, Alien Intrusion, UFOs and the Evolution Connection, which is exactly what we've come together today to talk about. Uh, Welcome to TCC Radio, Gary. Yeah, thanks, Corey. Good to be here. Now, I noticed uh, in your online bio says that you have a heart to uh, to communicate to the average person on the street. So I think we're going to get along just great because that's exactly what we do every week. We take the truth of God's word to the streets uh, to try and answer the toughest questions a culture's asking about the hottest topics in our world today, or in this case, out of our world today, I guess. And before we really dig in, perhaps you can let our listeners sort of know about this issue and maybe lay a little bit of groundwork for us. Now, I like the, the title of your first chapter, The Science of Fiction. Maybe you can just sort of try to give us some exposure to the big picture of what this issue is all about. Well, you mentioned about communicating uh, the truths of the gospel in a way that people can understand. And I think we need to recognize that we're living in a a world with a lot of competing ideas. You know, if I'm a Bible-believing Christian, then why do I think my view is right as compared to anybody else's? Can all truths be right? Can everybody's view be correct? Well, That's an illogical statement or an illogical presupposition because either truth is truth or it's not. There can't be many versions of the truth. So if I believe that you know, what I believe in is the truth, then I need to be able to provide reasonable answers that an average person can understand, not just say, well, it's just in the area of faith and it's not backed up by you know, real substance, real scientific demonstrable We experience that every week, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in this area of aliens, for example, this is exactly one of those areas. And uh, we've done informal surveys in high schools in Australia and in other countries around the world. And you might be surprised, or maybe you won't be surprised, given that you are on the street talking to folks, but would you believe that in high schools, public high schools today, when we survey kids and ask them, say, do you believe that there's a creator or a god or some sort of force behind the universe, the majority of kids will agree and believe that there is some force behind the universe. Now, the word force is an interesting one, of course, because that comes straight out of Star Wars. So it shows there that their oh, concepts yeah. uh, and their beliefs are actually being guided, if you like, by the popular media. And then the majority of those children who believe that, when you cross-survey them even further, they believe that aliens could be our creators. Now, that idea obviously comes from not only the media uh, you know, or the, uh, the Hollywood-type ideas that have been projected, but also mainstream science today. 
because the more that people look at the origin of life, for example, the more uh, difficulties they're facing. Mm -hmm. When we look at the, the DNA molecule, you know, in a single strand of your DNA and my DNA, Corey, if we could type out the information code there that tells the cell to build a human being, you've got the equivalent of 1,000 books worth of information. Now, I want you to think about how many letters there are in 1,000 books worth of information. And every single letter has to be arranged and ordered in exactly the right manner mm. in a thousand books worth of information to tell the cell to build a human being. Now, whenever you see a complex information code, an arrangement of letters in such a way, it's like reading my book. I mean, if you looked at my book and you saw all the letters of type on the page, the letters themselves are not information, but the letters have to be arranged into sentences and words to produce information. It's always a sign that there had to be an information provider. So an intelligence has been added. An intelligence, okay, okay, yeah. sure. And it's exactly the same when we look at DNA. So scientists now faced with this issue, this problem, because the more they investigate, the more that technology is revealing, there is information. So who is the source of the information? Now, we all understand that people have already made their mind up, really, whether there's a God or there's not a God. And so they interpret the information based upon that belief. I believe there is a God. He was the information giver. He's the one that created life on Earth. Now, if you don't believe in God, your only other mechanism is evolution, which basically says everything made itself. That's a problem when you look at the complexity of the DNA molecule. So scientists will then say, well, if it couldn't have made itself and there's a source of intelligence, we don't want to believe in God. So maybe the aliens did it. In fact, the co-discoverer of the DNA molecule, Sir Francis Crick, in 1953, he already admitted that he was an ardent atheist. And one of the reasons he entered uh, university was to disprove the notion, if you like, of a supernatural creator. So he actually believed that the aliens must have put all the information there on the DNA code. Now, that's what our young people are believing today, and that's what scientists are increasingly uh, uh, believing. And it goes hand in hand with science fiction beliefs. Mm -hmm. People think science fiction is one of those, uh, has almost a cultic-like following, you know, and it certainly does. Things like Star Wars, you see the Trekkies going along to conferences and yep, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because people have this fascination with the future. But would you uh, believe that Star Trek, for example, the next generation, is the most syndicated watched TV show in the history of this planet? Mm. More people have watched Star Trek than any other TV program. And people can do their own investigations and they'll find out that generally, you know, around about 70 to 80% of the highest grossing movies of all time are science fiction. It is the number one most popular entertainment genre of today. And what would you attribute that to? Would you say that's because of this... This sort of uh, this indoctrination about um, you know about the extraterrestrial, about aliens, about about the science fiction sort of uh, the mystery behind that, or because I, I was really surprised with with the subtitle of your book when I first saw the book, Alien Intrusion. That made perfect sense, but UFOs and the evolution connection. I'm sure that stirred up some controversy. That that while wow, you're trying to connect aliens to evolution, isn't that a bit of a stretch, Mr. Bates? Uh, have you found people sort of been a bit skeptical about your you're trying to do that? No, I think, uh, in fact, the opposite. It makes, wow. They haven't realized it, but uh, with what I'm about to say, it's mm -hmm. that they sort of go, oh, yeah, I understand. It makes perfect sense. Because, Corey, life can only get here on the earth by one of two mechanisms. Either it was created or it evolved. And when I look out in this incredible universe, you know, our Milky Way, our sun is just one of, say, 200 billion stars in our galaxy. Yep. Our Milky Way galaxy is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies yeah, out there. Yeah, it's hard to even <laughs> fathom. There, that contain yeah. hundreds of billions of stars. There could be hundreds of billions or even trillions of planets. And because people have a pre-belief in evolution, they say, well, if life evolved on the Earth by chance, 
then surely it must have evolved out there somewhere else. Mm. And when you watch those science fiction themes and those movies about these extraterrestrials visiting the Earth in their hyperdrive, warp drive spaceships or whatever it is, the underlying assumption, although not overt, is that life evolved on their planet, you know, much earlier than life evolved on the Earth. So therefore, you know, they could be millions or billions of years older than human beings. If they're millions and billions of years older than human beings, they could have developed these incredible technologies, millions or billions of years in advance of our own. So that's how they can build these incredible spaceships and visit the Earth. Now, that's the first factor. The second factor is the whole idea of belief in extraterrestrials has really uh, taken on religious proportions because people are looking at what they see, world problems, you know, famine, hunger and holes in our ozone and global warming and in the 50s and the 60s and 70s in particular, we were worried about blowing ourselves up with nuclear bombs. Right. So they believed, for example, that uh, you know these extraterrestrials have solved all these issues on their planets if they've survived that long. So maybe they can come to the Earth and, uh, in a, if you like, act as gods and help us you know, solve our petty little squabbles here. It's interesting how they associate as well that if there are extraterrestrials, they're old. Like it, there seems to be this this age thing that keeps recurring as we talk with people that, that the universe is old, the earth is old, and uh, it's fascinating how that plays into the discussion as well. But as far as the, um, you know, I was thinking about um, about maybe you've seen the Contact movie, and the famous quote in that movie, I think it was a Carl Sagan concept was, it's an awful lot of wasted space. And it seems as a lot of people sort of use the logic that there's, like you've just said, Gary, there's so much space out there that there's no way there can't be other beings out there. Do you, do you run into that as well? I, well, that, that was the third point. It's oh, very okay. It's almost like we planned this, but we didn't. <laughs> uh, because uh, even, even I find with Christians, that's a major issue for them to try to comprehend. But what we're doing, we're thinking naturalistically about the problem because you and I are bound by the time-space dimensions that we live in and we, we were created. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, uh, if I said... To most people, well, you know, I believe God made the universe. People then ask, well, who made God? And the reason you do that is because we understand that, you know, everything that has a beginning has a cause. You and I have a beginning and therefore we have a cause. We know what made us. And we can look at this, uh, you know, radio studio and we understand that somebody thought about it, built it, designed it, it had a beginning and therefore it must have had a cause. And whether you believe in a Big Bang 14 billion years ago or whether you believe in God as creator, both arguments or both sides believe that the universe must have had a beginning Hmm. but therefore it must have had a cause so in fact the evolutionists do not have a first cause uh, um, answer if you like right so let's break this up another way so so, okay well you're saying then god is there so so who made god if everything must have had a cause common question really well the bible says that god has no beginning now how can that be well i want you to think about what time is just think about the concept of time Now, we measure time using our watch, but our watch time, our 24-hour day, is based upon a rotation of the Earth. And then we have a lunar cycle, a month, and we have a solar cycle where the Earth goes around the sun. But before the universe began, and you've got to remember, when I say there was was nothing in the beginning, there was no universe, there's not even empty space, there's no matter, there's no atoms, there's no planets or stars, not even empty, empty space, there's nothing. So you and I can't even comprehend that to start with. Right. But if there's no matter, there's no planets that are rotating, then there's no time. Time did not exist. Right. True. Now, how, yeah. now how, sure. can, how can you understand? How can you try to comprehend no time? You can't because you are locked into this three-dimensional universe where we are bound by time. But if there are other dimensions, and the Bible explains that, for example, there is another dimension, there's what's called a spiritual dimension, that's where God is. 
The Bible says that God inhabits eternity, and eternity, I believe, is where there is no time. There's timelessness. So time began with the physical creation of the universe. Whether you're a big banger or a creationist, you would agree, both agree with that concept. Yep. So yep, it's, not, it's not something unique to what Christians believe. So if that's the case, then that's where God is. So he doesn't have a beginning and an end. As I say, we struggle to understand that because we're part of this creation that was made. Now, for the Christians listening right now, is it out of the realm of what's biblical? And even for the non-Christians, they're probably wondering, does the Bible mention in your experience anything about aliens? Do you read of anything in there that, that could be interpreted as, ah, there, there are other life forms on other planets? Well, the answer, straight answer is no. The Bible yeah. mentions the word aliens, but it actually says that human beings are aliens because we're aliens and strangers on the earth. Right, of this world, Because sure. we're disconnected from our, our heavenly home, which was we originally designed and created to be with God. And the fact that we have uh, messed up, fouled the nest, if you like, that this creation is, is soiled, God says in the future he's actually going to destroy this creation and make a new heavens and a new earth. And for those believers, those who have accepted Christ as their saviour, they'll be redeemed and will live with God in that eternity. Now, you mentioned before, and I was sort of getting to that, you know, if the universe is so big, it's an awful waste of space. I was trying to make the point there that we were naturalistically thinking because the universe is big to us. But if God is the one that's outside of space and time, and logically if he's the one that made the universe then it's not big to him. It'd be like an ant looking at this building and saying, why do those humans make it so big? Yeah, how do you even quantify someone who's that big, right? Right, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly sure. right. Yeah. So, but the Bible also tells us why the universe is so big. In fact, one of the great blessings I've had in, in going through this research, even having to go through a lot of disturbing material, I might add, but I've had to wrap my mind around the size of the universe, what it is, what is the universe. Mm. And I know it's there. It's a physical reality. But it is so big, I, I can't comprehend it. My puny mind cannot comprehend it, but it's there. But the, then the Bible tells us why the universe is there. It says over 17 times, the heavens declare the glory of God. And, you know, there's a, there's a passage right in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis where God speaks to the man Abraham. Right. And he says, Abraham, he says, I'm going to make your descendants because... Uh, you know, we are descended from the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, and then the redeemed line came through Abraham. But he says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, Abraham didn't have to suffer with light pollution like you and I do in the big mm -hmm. cities. And I often wondered, I thought, I wonder if Abraham counted the stars, you know. So I worked out, you know, if you could go into the Australian outback or into the Canadian wilderness and look up <laughs> yeah. at the sky. Where Australian no are probably more, more beautiful to walk out. But. <laughs> but, you know, you'd only count about 9,000 stars with the naked eye. That's all. And so that's not a lot, really. I don't know if Abraham did that or not. But, you know, later on is an interesting insight because God repeats the promise to Abraham and he says, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, like the grains of sand on the seashore. Right. So this was something now that Abraham could conceivably grasp. Now, do you know it's been estimated that there are as many stars in the universe as there are grains of sand on the earth? Wow. Now, <laughs> how did Abraham know that? If the Bible was not inspired by that outside intelligence, that supernatural force that's outside of our space and time, how could Abraham, how could anybody have fraudulently have a concept like that in the Bible. And just to be clear, this is not creationist uh, research. This is secular, secular people research, have yeah. said that. Wow, Absolutely. that's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. So in other words, the amount of stars that are out there are innumerable. Right. 
but God is saying it'll be like the grains of sand on the seashore. And you know, elsewhere it tells us in Scripture, it says that God determines the number of stars and he calls them each by, by name. name. Yeah. Now, I want you to imagine, Corey, if you could count, oh, pick a number, if you could count a hundred or even a million stars every second that you lived, you would not even get close to counting the number of stars in the universe. Amazing. Now, people might say, well, how could a being, how could a God make that? But what you're doing is you're attributing attributes to God. It's called anthropomorphism. You're, you're giving God human characteristics. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. of course, humans couldn't do anything like that. But we're talking about a being, a supernatural being, who is actually outside of our space and our time. He is not bound by the limits that you and I are bound by. Right. So therefore it is not hard to him. He created the universe and he created time, the entity that we live in. Wow. And we know that it, right up at the very beginning of creation, the first man and woman were destined to live for eternity. So in fact, we were not meant to be bound by time in that aspect. But because of the curse, because of our sin, God has said, hey, I'm a pure and holy God. I can no longer coexist with you in this form, if you like. And he put limits. Mm-hmm. He put boundaries there, what we commonly call the curse. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, when we look around us and we see the terrible things happening, you know, the death and the suffering. And, you know, in the last 18 months, I've lost my, my father and my sister, both to cancer. And, you know, as distressing as that is, but I realize that we are living in a cursed and fallen creation. And here we are. You and I are living on this mud ball spinning in space. What are you going to do to save yourself? What mm. can you do? Mm. You know, there's nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves. And Absolutely. people want to know if God's a God of love. You know what? That supernatural creator, outside of our space and time, he came into our space and time. He sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty of death for the sin uh, that we'd perpetrated, not only upon each other, but upon this planet and this creation, to redeem us. So the concept is God provided everything perfect. We messed it up. And even though we messed it up, he loves us so much that he sends a rescue mission to redeem us. So people want to know if God's a God of love. I think that's an incredible story of love. But a lot of folks don't understand it because I think they don't really understand the nature of God and who God is and that he's capable of. Absolutely. That. Now, with uh, with the, the time we have left in this episode, and, and uh, boy, I love hanging out with guys that make me think more, <laughs> stretch my thinking. Um, how would you encapsulate, in just, just one minute or so, how would you encapsulate why is this issue about aliens and uh, UFOs, and I guess they call it ufology, why is it so important that uh, that we understand and we have a response to, even as Christians? Sure. Why is it so important? Well, if... Uh I mentioned right at the beginning, if my belief system I believe is true, I need to be able to provide reasonable evidence and reasonable answers. And the idea of extraterrestrials and aliens, as I said, has taken on religious significance. The more that people reject God and the Bible because of these competing ideas, the more they will actually look for something else, a substitute. And in fact, Gerald Eberlein, a a German uh, sociologist, has recognized that ufology has become a substitute religion. Hmm. And even within the UFO movement, you have divine characters. You have people who believe that they've been contacted by uh, extraterrestrials. These are special guys like Rail of the Raelians. There's this guy that believes he's been up on the spaceship and he's met Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, all living together in peace and harmony. 
And I've met these guys at, U- at UFO meetings, and they call him the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? So, interesting title. Yeah. <laughs> so, and in each of these, and even a lot of the religions we see around the world today, believe it or not, uh, I believe that even Islam has its roots in this visitor experience, and so does Mormonism, and so do a lot of the UFO cults. There are very much parallels in them where they've had um, experiences, uh, personal experiences with so-called enlightened or divine being that has given them a message and a purpose in life. And, of course, what they do is they look for supporters, they recruit help, and basically they become substitute religions. I mean, I would call them cults because uh, many of them you know, uh, fit the classic definitions and the hallmarks of what we understand to be cults. But, you know, in, 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 in amongst all of this, here we have the Bible, you know, some of the oldest recorded material that mankind has, thousands of manuscripts from thousands of years ago that have remained unchanged. And even today, scientifically, more and more, we're actually finding that the Bible's premises is about the world, the universe, our existence are correct. Mm. And that source of information could only have come from a source that was outside of our space of time. I gave you one example with what God said to Abraham. God speaks to the man Isaiah, and he says that God, talking about God, sits above the circle of the earth. How did Isaiah know that? Well, he couldn't have known that. He didn't have a space shuttle that was back at the earth. Right. But the word right. circle True, yeah. is actually the Hebrew word kug, which correctly translated means sphere. Hmm. So, again, you know. Uh, lots of examples like that could only have come from, if you like, a supernatural source. Wow. Now, the only answer I can look at is that either matter itself is eternal and can rearrange itself into complex living organisms, which we know scientifically it doesn't, mm-hmm. or there has to be a supernatural being outside of our space and time that created the first cause and brought everything into existence. And I think that's actually not just a religious premise, it actually makes good scientific sense as well. Lots to think about, and all of you listening will be excited to know that Gary's going to be in the studio with us for the next three more weeks. But with all that in mind, here is a message you won't want to miss. Check it out. Will you be with God in heaven? The Bible says that the price of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So how many times have you sinned? How many times have you lied, lusted, stolen, hated, and used God's name in vain? Because every time you have, you've sinned against holy God, alienating yourself from Him. Even your thinking is against Him. You will face the second death, which is eternity in the lake of fire. But Jesus Christ paid for sins, taking them and God's wrath against sinners upon Himself. He shed his blood and died on the cross in place of sinners. And then he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, just as the scriptures foretold that he would. To be reconciled to God, you must repent and trust that Jesus died for your sins. Your sins will be forgiven. God will grant you eternal life, and you will spend forever with God in heaven. Isn't that good news? Hello, this is Paul Washer, and you're listening to the Cross Current Radio Show. You've just been in the studio with TCC Radio. Please visit tccradio.com for resources and full-length street interviews related to this series. On behalf of the entire team here at TCC, thanks again for listening and for keeping the Cross Current in our culture.